Hello and welcome to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If you are obsessed with how your baby sleeps, I am here for you. And this is a podcast to cut through the noise and the conflicting and confusing information out there about baby sleep. I'm here to dispel a few of the myths and share a bit of knowledge and wisdom about babies and all things sleep and development. I am thrilled that this is our third episode and I just want to say thank you so much for all of the lovely messages and emails I've received in the last couple of weeks from people all over the world that have taken the time to listen to this. It is amazing. It blows my mind. I sound like I'm about 85 years old and I've just discovered the internet, but it really is very strange that I sit here at my kitchen table in southeast London kind of ranting into the abyss and talking about baby sleep and that people as far as South Africa, Australia, Western Canada are tuning in. That is amazing. Thank you very much. This is a really amazing community. And if you want to find out a little bit more about me and my work, or if you want to work with me, you can check out my Instagram, which is at Little Nest Sleep. And on there, I give away lots of free content and guides to hopefully help your little one sleep a bit better without having to do the usual controlled crying, cry it out, strict routines, all of that stuff. I'm here for parents who want to listen to their instincts and find their own way to navigate all of this stuff that's out there because parenting is really really hard so we need our community we need to talk about these things we need to share from each other's experiences but what we don't need are so-called experts telling us we're doing it wrong and that the only way to get more sleep is to go against our own maternal and paternal instincts so In this week's episode, I had an amazing conversation with a hospital lactation consultant called Olivia Hinge, who uh, you might know on Instagram as well, and I've linked to her account in the show notes. I had this idea that this episode would be all about uh, kind of practical tips to cope with life with a newborn, because Olivia, she's a midwife and a lactation consultant, so she works with tiny tiny babies all the time and she knows so much about feeding and caring for little ones so I had a long list of questions to ask her all about kind of cluster feeding and uh, how to know if breastfeeding is going well or how to combination feed but actually what happened was the most amazing conversation the most enlightening chat about motherhood matrescence about instinct about feeling that you're getting it all wrong, about that fog that can so often fall upon us when we have a baby, the amazing highs and the kind of scary lows sometimes and that feeling of what have I done and why did I think I could do this? I love Olivia, she is such a breath of fresh air, she's sweary and straight to the point just like my guest Lucy last week actually I think there's a kind of a common theme here of basically of people that don't muck about and um, aren't going to sugar the pill or lie to people or mislead anyone so I loved our chat with Olivia she's so straight to the point and also there's such amazing information in this episode about 
about breastfeeding and about the relationship between a mother and a baby and actually even if you uh, are not breastfeeding at the moment or you've chosen not to for whatever reason I still think that you could get a lot out of this episode because there's so much we have to learn about women's bodies and particularly birthing women's bodies and how are the physical changes through making milk and nurturing behaviours come about And I've said this before as well in a previous episode, I did not have a smooth um, journey through breastfeeding actually. I really wanted to and I really thought I was going to nail it because it's natural, right? So I just figured I would pop my baby on, do a little bit, read a little book or two about it and then away we'd go. And what I discovered was that if you don't have the support feeding is going to be difficult you know for some people breastfeeding is quite straightforward but for lots and lots of us it's a really emotional challenging skill to learn that needs real support and unfortunately I don't think I got the support that I needed at the time for various reasons it's a bit of a postcode lottery I don't think I understood how important it was to get the support at the time and if I'm honest with myself I think at times I felt like it was a I was a bit of a failure to ask for help because I felt like feeding should be this natural thing that I should just be able to kind of power on through and figure out and actually it didn't work like that for me so um I just wanted to say that before we talk about this because I know there was a time when I myself would have found conversations about breastfeeding and the newborn phase in general really difficult to listen to it's a really raw and emotional time and I think it brings up a lot of stuff for all of us when we have a baby and I just want to say I hope you can enjoy this episode regardless of where you're at with feeding or what where you've what you've chosen or what your own preferences are or what your baby's needs are. If this is an amazing conversation I think for every mother or father to kind of understand the changes we all go through and why babies are the way they are. I also wanted to just quickly apologise as well because the audio quality isn't ideal for my chat with Olivia but I felt like it was just too good an interview to re-record or bin because I just um, I got so much from it and I hope that the sound quality doesn't put you off too much and that you can stick with it because Olivia is a fountain of knowledge and a wise wise woman indeed. So here it is. Here's the third episode of Sleep Like a Baby. Olivia, thanks so much for your time today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm really excited for this. This is one of my favourite things to sort of chat about. So thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. And I'm a really big fan of um, the work that you do on Instagram. So if people don't already follow you, can you tell us a little bit about what what your account is about and, and kind of what you're talking about on there? Well, that's a good question, really, because I'm not really sure what I'm doing on Instagram or why I started it all. But about, I think it was probably the beginning of April, um, I decided to start an Instagram account sort of based around my um, professional experiences as um, a midwife in quite a high-risk um, obstetric-led 
midwifery unit in a London hospital and also alongside my practice as a oh I suppose the fancy name is international board certified lactation consultant um, and just that a lot of people's journeys with breastfeeding does not start off with that breastfeeding call and the baby latching on and it all being so natural and lovely for many of us it can be quite a hard gritty time that I don't feel that we talk about enough and and I think access to decent support can be really limited by what your local hospital offers but also um, dependent on you having money really because private lactation consultants are expensive and I I loathe that there's there's that barrier so I basically tried to start this Instagram account to offer evidence-based advice um yeah yeah I completely agree it is really expensive and I think for me when I was a new parent I didn't understand the importance of breastfeeding support so I'd done a little I'd done like a course on breastfeeding before as part of um I went I did an NCT group and so Mm -hmm. me and my partner went along to that and I felt like I'd learned some really good information there and I knew a a few of the basics and things but uh, I didn't quite understand how valuable actually that breastfeeding support was because yeah. it's all just a bit disorientating isn't it and I think it's I think it's about finding it before the baby arrives mm. so that you're not you don't get to that point where you think oh my god what's going on this is really hard your emotions are everywhere you're exhausted and then you're trying to find somebody to support you whereas if you've already made contact or you've already googled someone mm. um you know to have it there in preparation just in case can really take away some of the the stress yeah definitely definitely and so and I wanted to ask a little bit about you as well so how long have you been working with um babies and feeding yeah this this coming uh September I think it is I would have been a qualified midwife for 10 years Um, and within yeah within my midwifery the longest chunk has been spent as a community midwife um so that's the midwife who cares for you in the in your pregnancy um and does the home visits at home um once your baby's arrived and also I was involved um as sort of the second midwife to attend home birth which I really loved um yeah and I worked in an area of um huge huge wealth next to huge deprivation um and I really loved that it was it was London life there and I got to see it all. So I really loved it. Um, oh. Yeah. And then when I've come back from, well, with my, with my own first child, oh my goodness me, breastfeeding was so hard. I, I really felt I was at the point where this is, either, I'm either going to do this or it's absolutely going to break me. I, I just, I, it was very, very hard. And I hadn't had the birth experience that I had really wanted so it was like the breastfeeding is the thing I'm going to take control of and I will succeed mm-hmm. yet I also found where can I get decent support from but it also made me realize actually as a midwife my knowledge in breastfeeding is limited mm-hmm. we we don't you know there's so many things to learn um, and mm-hmm. I was thought of as a breastfeeding champion within my trust because I enjoyed it and I had done further training but actually, when it came to really nitty gritty hard stuff, I realised I want to know more. I need to know more. And that's when I started to sort of make the journey into qualifying as a lactation consultant. 
And so, Livy, and you're also a mum of two. That's right, isn't it? I am. Yes. I yes. very. I we briefly spoke before about sort of orchid and dandelion children, and my first was a classic orchid, very much um, a Dr. Sears high needs baby, um, incredibly intense baby, um, and that made me, you know, very much feel that I I was failing. What on earth was I doing wrong? Why would why did my baby, literally a Velcro baby, um, wouldn't be held by anybody apart from myself or my husband? And actually, quite often she she would just want me. Um, and I found that very overwhelming at the time because I hadn't put the two and two together between sort of what my baby biologically needs versus what society is expecting from me and her. Yeah, and also if you're out and about and you're seeing other maybe more um, babies with different temperaments, you're wondering, well, why are they just happy chilling. in there? Yeah. yeah, why are they chilling and why is my baby not? <laughs> why am I a hot mess at home? Still in my pants at sort of one o'clock and I can't even leave the house. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's interesting. So you were a midwife when you had your first I baby, was. right? I was. So you already were in the world of, of babies and you knew that there, you know, you knew so much about it. And yet you, yeah. I think that's really good to know for other mums who are completely outside of this world and are like... It is. I say I was a community midwife, so really dealing with newborns all day, every day, helping with breastfeeding. I found breastfeeding incredibly hard. I found that I can control every aspect of my life, mm. but I can't control my baby. Yeah. And I think that is where the shock happens. Yeah, that's me 100%. These, yeah, and I think I think so many people, you know, say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're fine, we're doing really, really well. I don't believe it, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> because, because there is, I, I don't think it cannot be a shock yeah. to people. yeah. Even if you don't, I know people who, I know a maternity nurse who, so she lived in with families and cared for newborns, but when she had her own child, it was an absolute shock to her. Yeah. And both her and I had a conversation and it, it's around the emotion. Mm-hmm. So like a robot, I can care for and tell you do X, Y, Z for your newborn baby in my midwifery role, but actually make me the mother and I'm sobbing mm-hmm. when I'm changing my baby's nappy because they're crying so much and their crying breaks me. Yeah. And it's the emotion. Yeah. It's you being the primary caregiver. Yeah. And that, yeah, that overwhelm of, oh my goodness, you're relying on me. Yeah. And is, is, you're tethered to each other, aren't you? In a physical and emotional and like spiritual yeah. way, you know, and it's, it's very, it's all consuming and, uh, I think that is fascinating, though, that you were, yeah, someone who had been around babies constantly and still had that experience. And re- reassuring sure as well. That, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that all my colleagues are listening to this thinking, oh, Olivia, we were totally fine. But very much, I'm I'm, I'm very much an oversharer. I, you know, I say it as it is. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when you say that to people, the look of relief on their face of, Oh, I was pretending I was all okay, but now that you've opened that gate mm. to have that conversation, then it all comes out. Yeah. And to say it's okay to find this really, really hard. We're all finding this hard. Yeah. 
When I do a newborn baby sleep workshop with families, I always ask at the beginning, what's the thing that surprised you most about parenthood? And I would say like the most common response is how relentless it is and how hard feeding is. Mm-hmm. And I think that relentlessness of, of, of you desperately like wanting a break, but then like also not really being able to take one because you're always thinking about your baby. You're always, you know, you're just connected in, a, in such a deep way, yeah, aren't you? totally. There's that, um, you still have the old you, that head that thinks, oh, I'd love to go to the gym or I'd love to mm-hmm. go to the pub and just forget about all the responsibility. But then you take a look at your baby and your heart breaks into it, the thought of leaving them or that you dared have those thoughts. Um, there's mm, that yeah, real... The, the guilt thought, Yeah, the yeah. push-pull of of motherhood mm. that you have entered thinking it's going to be one thing and then of course real life experience is like oh it's actually lots of things yeah and I what I didn't know when I um became a mum was about the concept of matrescence mm. um which I think really helps it really helped me understand what I had gone through and it's completely ignored by society that that when a ba- when a woman has a baby that her body and her brain go through enormous physical biological hormonal shift and it's not dissimilar to adolescence in terms of the the changes that your brain and your whole body goes through but it's assumed that you're it's a smooth transition and that your baby can just slot into your life and you can just nail it and I think I think that's really a shame for our society that we don't honor that period of matrescence and support it more yeah I adore matrescence because it truly explains the experience that I had that I was clueless about. So if we think of a um, a pregnant person, so biologically we accept these huge changes um, and we, you know, we talk about, we even laugh about the hormones of pregnant people and the and a mother in that new early postnatal period. Um, on a cellular level, your body is connected to your baby. So you have the hormones oxytocin um, and that's flooding the love hormone absolutely flooded through your body. And whether you feel that immediate rush of love for your baby or not, very normal not to, your body will in fact be producing oxytocin, even if your head, your brain hasn't registered it. There's also irrespective of how you feed your baby, your body will have high levels of prolactin. And prolactin is the hormone that's responsible for milk making, but it's also just naturally there in your body in those early few weeks and months, even if you formula feed your baby. Um, And prolactin is known as the mothering hormone. So it's that hormone that is responsible for things like in the night, sometimes you wake up and you think, oh, why on earth am I awake? And literally 30, 40 seconds later, your baby stirs and wakes. It's that hormone that just connects you to your baby. So then for this, for your body to be so responsive to your baby, um, you are a totally different person to what you were before. Um, And and it's okay to feel overwhelmed by that um, and to not enjoy every minute of it. Um, Motherhood, I don't think is, is meant to be a totally happy time. It's a time that makes you realize how tough you are, how strong you are. I think everyone that's had a child through a bout of illness, particularly something like a stomach bug, when you get to the end of that and you think, 
Wow, I, <laughs> I, I am superhuman. Um, you learn you, you can cope with things that you never imagined you could before. Matrescence, it's that, it's that massive change of losing yourself as well, like you do going through puberty. And it's the same pregnancy coming out the other end. You're a different person. Um, but where society expects us to be the same, have the same focuses, have the same interests. And for most of us, that's that's not the case. Yeah, so true. I, fe- I, th- I feel like matrescence is yeah. a real unraveling and an undoing. Um, but yet you come yeah. back together and you do start to feel like yourself again. But you yeah. have, like you say, but you've but you've changed. And I think you've got better. You know, I think it's a progression. It's a... You, like you say, you're stronger, more resilient. You might yeah. not feel that way, yeah. though. You might still yeah. feel very much broken and unraveled for a while. And that's also part yeah. of it. And I think after every child, you have this slight unraveling, rebuilding. Oh, I'm a bit different again. Um, and, and, and I think every time you change a bit more with every child, I, mm. you have to. I'm sure that we will all look back in many years time and be like that was the making of me but it definitely doesn't feel it at the time does it you think who am I what are my interests what's my focus in life now um and it is really hard it's about talking about it um so Alexandra Sachs does an amazing TED talk on matrescence um and her she feels that talk therapy is the the thing to help us all get through this stage um it's about saying to your your fellow parents and mum friends, this is really hard, isn't it? It is. It's about talking. It's about uh, com- and community support in and uh, sharing your experiences and, and feeling less alone because it can be so lonely. It can, can't it? Even if you're surrounded with noise and support, it's all about meaning, isn't it? People support yeah. you with good intentions, but sometimes it makes you feel even more alone because they're expecting one thing of you and you're now somebody else yeah and you look around and you just think everyone else is is nailing it and maybe you're not and I think I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was saying that you know obviously no one really tells you that you might not fall in love with your baby straight away or that you might find it really hard or that you might kind of regret having children sometimes you know that you all not regret but that you might say to yourself what have I done and why did I think I could do this because 100%. I didn't know 100 percent this is what I'm yeah. here for <laughs> I didn't know yeah. it could be this hard yeah <laughs> yeah me too um in fact she said her brother actually did say to her that before she had a kid and he was the only one and she's never heard you know when, when she would go, go to baby groups whatever but obviously people don't feel necessarily comfortable to just like spill that over a you know a right time time. this is really (laughs) shit don't do it but because by then it's too late you've got the baby yeah and also she was saying you know when um when you get if you get engaged for example or if you fall in love with someone you're telling people about how happy you are in a new relationship no one ever says to you like oh well be careful because like relationships are really hard and you're probably going to have lots of big arguments one day and you might end up really just hating the way they breathe through their <laughs> yeah. nose and they eat you know everyone's just like well hey you've fallen in love that's I'm really happy for you and so it's the same with babies no one's that you know it's exciting and it's like yeah you're having a kid that's brilliant but by the way your whole body's going to change your brain's going to change in its structure you're going to feel completely unraveled and like a constant failure <laughs> guilty all the time but enjoy it um, but yeah. here's a baby grow yeah but I, I bought you a really soft blanket so it's on the white company so that's all right yeah 
<laughs> exactly. You're sitting there looking at that lovely white company blanket going, what the... To mop your I tears with me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we joke, but my yeah. God, I mean, I'm at the point now where I can just about joke about it. Um, what if I got a five-year-old and an 18-month-old? Um, but, you know, I, I, I cannot stress to you how hard I found it placing myself within society after my first um but but what what yeah. what helped me was um I actually tried to sleep train my non-sleeping first child at about six months because <laughs> I was totally like you discussed in your second um, episode I was totally sold with um sleep training would answer all of my problems and it didn't I tried it for 20 minutes and I was so distressed myself that I just sacked it all off. And I thought, right, this is it. I can't sleep train her. I also actually can't influence her in any way. She's so intense. I just need to sort of go into this and and let it be what it is. And from that point on, parenting became a pleasure, as much as parenting is a pleasure. Um, I, I let myself follow those instincts. I co-stepped with her. I breastfed her totally on demand all through the night. Um, And even though I was tired because I was doing that, I felt I got to the point of accepting and it was okay. And I stopped reading sleep training Mm. websites. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's that's it. And I think... um, you know, I'm not here to judge anyone who makes a choice and tries tries things out. Like we're all figuring it out, aren't we? We're yeah. all just stumbling through the dark and taking information in and, and figuring it out for ourselves. But I think what people don't understand with the sleep training is the physical and emotional impact it has on parents. I'm not mm. so concerned actually about how it impacts babies, although, you know. That's exactly what I say, you know. I, I'm yeah. sure... Some methods can be relatively respectful to the baby, but yeah. actually it's that telling your your own intrinsic instincts and bodily needs, no, don't do it, you're not right, just completely yeah. makes us doubt ourselves in all other areas of parenting in some ways. Yeah, definitely. That's how I feel. And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier about like your birth hadn't gone how you'd hoped it had gone feeding Mm. wasn't going how you had wanted it to go and then sleep isn't going how you maybe non-existent it wasn't (laughs) existing so it's not even that you had unrealistic expectations you're just exhausted like you just you know you probably just wanted a three-hour stretch and that wasn't happening so it's it's not like you had these expectations that your child was gonna sleep through the night at six months you just wanted some rest and I I think that um it's such an unraveling time and it you're so kind of lost and you've lost yourself and it's it's a fog mm. and so this idea that you can regain regain that control through a bit of controlled crying or something mm. okay so regardless of what impact that might might have on your baby or not it's going to impact you because it's going to meet another thing that you're that goes against your instincts mm. um because as you've explained so beautifully we are hardwired when we have children to respond and you feel it in your body and you know and also no one's happy about being responsive at 3 a.m you know it's not like we're all just these zen earth mothers going like oh well my baby needs me here I am like it's okay to be really really like pissed off about that absolutely (laughs) and be muttering under your breath will you go the f to sleep please 
Yeah. And yeah, I've had some really undignified moments in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, I've told my baby to like, yeah, F off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've had enough of this now. I've had enough. Yeah. You deal with it to my husband who's fast asleep anyway. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, come back in the room and be like, okay, let's try again. Yeah. Let's try. Yeah. Yeah. Walking away is a good strategy sometimes. Yeah. As long as I am, I'm a really big advocate. That sounds also a big advocate for it. But you know, when you get to, you feel that you're at breaking point mm. and you really think, actually, I feel so ragey and angry inside. I'm not, I don't feel like myself. It's mm. okay. Put the baby down somewhere safe, walk away, have a few deep breaths, a few minutes and come back. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's okay to do that. Definitely. Definitely. I, I, I had um, quite intense like postnatal, postnatal rage and, and I didn't, again, it's only later that I found out that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and it was such a relief because yeah. uh, I'm not a hugely angry person. No, I guess. me neither. Um, yeah. And I was really livid for like months on end. Yeah. <laughs> like horrible to be around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, that's you thinking, I don't know who I am because this isn't me these aren't my personality traits but they're very present um and I don't know do you feel that had you had more of an idea of the basic sort of following your instincts a bit more not feeling the pressure to sleep home do you think the rage would have abated or it would have been that was just part of your postnatal journey that's a really good question. Possibly. I think um, it would have given me different things to rage against. Maybe, you know? I <laughs> yeah. could have just been angry at the situation. I could have just yeah. been angry because I wanted my food now, not yeah. in 20 minutes. You know, I could have just been angry at other things and I wouldn't have directed the anger at myself. I think a society in some ways we treat the baby like they're absolute geniuses this whole discussion about um babies mm. manipulating <laughs> and I I very as kindly as I can say to parents you know don't worry about rods to your back or your baby you responding to their needs is giving in to them and that they learn this that and the other a newborn baby is not their brain is, doesn't have that capacity yeah. their needs and their wants are one and the same yeah so yeah, it's it, it, yeah they're not don't sign them up for Mensa just yeah, yet. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm sure your baby's very advanced, but then no baby is that advanced. <laughs> yeah, no newborn is is crying at three a.m. because they want to manipulate yeah. you. That's not that's not. And possible. also um, understanding that that their um, that their needs will be met is a really big part of it, isn't it? It's uh, we want them to know yeah. that when they cry, we come. Yeah. That's yes, because even if even if they are four years old and and they cry and you know you know that there's probably nothing wrong, but you sort mm. of go um, and you end up having a chat with them about you know whatever's going on, and that to them is a real reinforcement that actually if I signal that I'm I need a parent a caregiver and they come, I might go off and explore a little bit more. I might be a little bit more adventurous at giving stuff a go because I know that if I signal I need you they come and that's a that can only be a good positive reinforcement um that whole dependence early on 
breeds and creates much greater independence when they're older. Yeah, and there's been some really interesting studies into sleep, for example, that babies who... So one, they did a study into one-year-olds who had been responded to more at night, and they actually found that those babies with more responsive care woke less than the babies who had had less responsive care, which I thought was... Yeah. I don't think that's a message that gets yeah. out there very often. I think there's this huge narrative that just giving your baby space and independence from the earliest point and not giving them eye contact, not picking them up, not, you know, just keeping it minimal and distanced all the time will create a better sleeper. But actually the evidence is the more you respond at the start, the more independent they will become naturally. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not um, a sleep expert, far from it, just my more experience and my own reading and stuff. But would you, I like falling asleep next to my husband, yeah. um, next to somebody. I also... Like I want to go to sleep feeling safe and loved, and if I have a problem in the night, someone will come. Um, so yeah, I would just in terms of applying it to myself, I'd be much happier to go to sleep and turn over and go back to sleep. Yeah, you know, it's the same if if we were to fall asleep in a like a room that was too hot, noisy, smelly, uncomfortable bed. You know, like that. Mm. You know, um, maybe there was like a party going on next door like you wouldn't you wouldn't sleep well in that environment you'd find it stressful you'd find it hard to switch off and relax maybe you can smell a fire nearby mm. you're not going to like go into that calm state and it's yeah. that's I always think that's what a newborn feels like for the world around them it's like they've woke you know they've been born yeah. into this really stimulating scary world and their safe place yeah. is with your with that caregiver you know and so yeah. your arms your you know bed is like staying at the mm. a night at the Corinthia you know it's you know it's Claridge's yeah. like it's that is where you're gonna have like yeah. a thousand count Egyptian cotton sheets and you know that's yeah. the equivalent yeah, yeah like that, you're, you're, you know yeah. being close to a caregiver is a luxury boutique hotel and being away from yeah. a caregiver is is like being in a scary um I don't know stressful place if 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 yeah, totally. Because and also your body is making all these preparations for this. Because um, like a, on a on a birthing person's chest, so you've had the baby, but also for the following weeks, the chest area is actually a couple of degrees higher than it would normally be. You could place twins on um, a mother or birthing person's chest, and one baby's too hot, one baby's too cold. Within a period of time, they both equalise. No way. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? So when when we're saying, no, don't do this, don't do this, you think, but the bod- your body is doing it. The baby's body needs, yeah. we have both have these biological needs for each other. Yeah. You know, we talk about um, a mother and a baby as a dyad. We, we biologically consider them as one unit. Yeah, so could um, you explain what the what the word dyad means if people haven't heard it before? I can try. <laughs> it's basically, it's basically we, we refer to people as breastfeeding dyads. So the behaviours um, of one directly impacts or links with the other. And it's usually that it's complementary things. Mm. So, for example, you may notice this is regarding breastfeeding but these things are there even if you're bottle feeding breast milk or formula feeding these things actually are all there so if you think about um your breasts in pregnancy obviously they get 
most people's will get a bit bigger. That's the glandular tissue being developed and that's where the milk is made. But the nipple and the areola, so the, the flat bit with the pointy out nipple, they tend to get bigger and darker. So this is immediately a bullseye for the baby when they are born to see it. And one thing that people always go, oh, that's cool, um, is the little, the slight pinhead dots around the areola. And they secrete, they're called Montgomery glands, and they secrete an oily substance that we wouldn't really detect. But they think that that oily substance smells the same as your amniotic fluid. No way. I didn't yeah. know that. That's so cool. I know. It's great, isn't it? So for that baby, you're going, you can see something dark looming up there, that bullseye, I want to go towards that. And also, that smells nice. Mm. The chest is a warm place. Mm. So holding your baby, we, we know that nurturing touch, so holding your baby, will speed up the process of brain development. Mm. So for me, that, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's obvious. That's our body's way of saying we are meant to hold our babies. Yeah. You know, our babies, I always explain to new parents when they are in that gritty stage that we've discussed of thinking, I'm really bad at this. Mm. My baby is not doing what I thought they would do. It's not doing what all my, well, supposedly what all my NCT group babies are doing. You have to strip it back and say, try and, you know, don't listen to all that. Let's think about what's going on with you two, what your baby's expectations are. Your baby has gone from warm, cozy, constantly held close. You know, the uterus keeps them really scrunched up, doesn't it? Mm. They want to feel that, that feeling. Um, in the UK, we don't do much swaddling. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably a, a good thing because it dampens down some instinct. Yeah. Um, but going back to sort of this cave, your baby basically is a cave baby. Yeah. Um, they have not progressed from when we lived in caves. So they do not know that we have locks on the front door. They don't know there's a 24-hour Tesco down the road, that there's this thing called formula milk. They don't know that we have central heating or merino wool sleeping bags, all these sorts of things that we spend so much money on. Mm. Their needs are basic. If they are in the arms of their caregiver, they are safe, they are warm, their heartbeat and their breathing rate is stable, their oxygen rates we know are much better if they're held. All of these things, they become biologically regulated. Mm. So... This is just this huge thing. Yes, your baby is meant to be held. You will find, um, we all spend money on Moses baskets, don't we? Why? I, don't, <laughs> I do not know. And I think we think if we spend more money on the Moses basket, it may be aesthetically more pretty. But there's some weight within us that makes us think if we spend more, it'll be comfier. They'll want to be in it. I've never met a baby that likes a Moses basket. There are unicorn babies, I know, and lots of people yeah. are like, my baby loved it. And, oh, I wish mine had. <laughs> but to be put yeah. down in a basket to them is a warning sign. Why am I, I I'm not near my source of food. I'm potentially mm. going to be eaten by a predator. Um, I, you know, those stress hormones start to be released. And we actually see that these babies who have nurturing touch in their newborn phase will be um, much more regulated to stress hormones 10 years later. Mm -hmm. So that I find really interesting that it, it, it's helping them develop good relationships. There is yeah. a give take to relationships. Um, yeah. It just, 
yeah, just being there, being held by caregivers and not too many caregivers as well. Lots mm. of people may find pre-pandemic that they would have family come around and visit them. And everybody wants to cuddle the baby, don't they? The baby yeah, would be yeah. passed from person to person to person. They'd all have cuddles. They'd wear, you know, you, your baby's handed back to you and it smells of somebody else's perfume. You don't have a little <laughs> weep in the bathroom because that breaks your heart. Um, but And then that night, your baby who, you know, was just feeding and waking like a normal newborn suddenly was like an absolute demon overnight. Mm-hmm. And it's them waking to rebuild that connection with you. They need you. They will be disturbed if they're held by lots of different people. They've had a sensory overload. Yeah. Reconnection with a caregiver, particularly their mother, is is key to their survival. And they have their survival instincts are so strong. That's it. Like attachment isn't just this nice thing so that we have like it's not just about like, oh, isn't that lovely and cuddles are really nice and let's like be kind to babies. It's a survival thing. Yeah. I think that's really important. It, it's it's our way of making sure that we stay alive. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't live. We wouldn't we wouldn't survive unless we had someone that loved us so hard that we they would put up with us. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> because babies are so demanding. Exactly. <laughs> and there may be there may be people listening to this thinking, I didn't feel love. That, that mm. sort of rush of love. And that's OK, because we all love in different ways and sometimes it's a slow burn yeah everybody gets to that intensity in their own time um yeah it was for me actually it was um I I did definitely love my son when he was born I Mm. definitely had lots of oxytocin Russian stuff but then I do remember a point and I can't even remember it could have been weeks or months it's all a blur but I remember then being like oh like that's it like this is the feeling and then it was very very I realised it had been growing. Yes. Because it's a relationship. We're getting to know each other. Yes. We're building. We're both, we're both building a connection to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's changed throughout his life as well. It's evolved and yeah. the relationship's always changing, isn't it? Yeah. A colleague of mine said to me when I was pregnant with my first, you do realise the first eight weeks is survival. If you have <laughs> so- a single glimmer of happiness in those eight weeks, that's a win. So I, yeah. and I was a bit like, Oh, that's a bit. That's a bit more, <laughs> but full on. But she was totally right, and and those first eight weeks was survival for me. And I tell you what, it was very good timing when she started to smile at six weeks. I thought that's yeah. well timed because I was getting pretty fed up with you and this being such a thankless, monotonous task. And then they smile, yeah. and you're like, oh, you're you're all right. Can't get a refund yeah. on you. You you can hang around. <laughs> Yeah, I'll keep this on. Also, I want to say as well that you might actually, some people listening to this might have had a quite a blissful newborn phase as well. Like sometimes that happens. And then maybe they, that, apparently, yeah. And then they get to maybe, I don't know, four or five or even six months and suddenly it yeah. gets really, really hard then. And they're thinking, what have I done? Like I thought I had this down yeah. and now I'm in yeah that kind of, I like the word in the yeah, I like how you describe it as a gritty fate uh, gritty phase because that's kind of quite yeah. apt I think I, I, so sometimes you could think well actually the newborn phase was all right for me like they just fed and slept and I just kind of yeah was all um, right and then suddenly I remember I, I really like Sarah Ockwell Smith um talking and writing about sleep that for some my first actually was a very good sleeper at night until about four months and then it became mm. very hard um so for some people, they may have had a really restful, 
happy baby, you know, and mm-hmm. they actually had their expectation met what their baby was like. But then as babies learn skills, things develop. I think the adrenaline as well wears off, doesn't it? Some people yes. run on adrenaline and oxytocin, and then that does come down a little bit. If you're breastfeeding as well, you may find that when you start breastfeeding less, so maybe some people wean it, they stop breastfeeding at six months or the baby really takes the solids and they're not breastfeeding as much and as frequently, you are exposed to a lot less oxytocin. Mm. Your mood will be affected by that. You will feel, oh God, I feel really wobbly. I, I can't quite put my finger on what I'm feeling, but I'm not feeling like I did. And that's quite typical of the reduced amount of oxytocin surging around you. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, I was, um, I found the hormonal process of stopping breastfeeding quite, um, quite intense. Um, Yeah. And again, that was a bit of a shock. It was like, yeah, wasn't prepared for that. No, it also depends how you wean, how old the baby is when that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, we know that breastfeeding is really, really protective against severe mental health problems, mm-hmm. postnatal depression, even though we kind of feel that the breastfeeding actually is what causes a lot of stress, pressure and a sense of failure in a lot of women. Um, actually, biologically, that oxytocin is so protective. Um, we, we have a lot. We don't respond to stress so actively when, when you have oxytocin in the body. So stressful situations can happen and a breastfeeding parent will feel a lot more able to cope. So when you remove that oxytocin, life stresses, particularly pandemic stresses, happen, and you just think, "I feel like I'm feel like I'm losing it." I feel, you know that point where you just think you're in a complete flap, um, and mm. and that that could be quite typical. Yeah, yeah. And so, and in in those experiences as well, like so, keeping your child close to you. Yeah. Is such a great way to kind of keep yeah. that bond going, isn't it? And still having those cuddles and those oxytocin boosts from that kind yeah. of, uh, you know. The, the, those the, there is nobody, well, like we said, maybe some people are, but I, I don't think anybody on their own solo can respond to their baby's needs without any support or help. Mm. So that's, you know, you're being told this message, breastfeed until the child is two at least and, and hold your baby low to respond to all their needs. I think on your own, that's a very, very hard task. I think you need to have some strategies to achieve this, to get there. Um, if you have a, a partner, brilliant, rope them in, skin to skin. They could have a bath with the baby. And I mean, get in the bath with the baby. Um, you know, again, stripping a baby naked, putting them into a, Sort of very, very. I always think they're quite cold. The temperature that they recommend, um, <laughs> like wet, cold, naked. No wonder most babies scream the house down. Go into a slightly warmer bath, skin to skin, with a caregiver that they know the smell of. That's that's a great thing. Um, yeah. A sling, if you have access to one. Trusted people, not loads of them. Maybe a grandparent, a good family friend, who is happy to come to your house. You don't. You don't make them a cup of tea. They make you a cup of tea. They say, do you want me to hold the baby? Yes, please. Hold the baby. The baby sleep on them. They stay awake. They're not exhausted. You go off. You have a shower. You have a wee on your own. You have a nap. I think expectations to sleep as the parent in, um, in the newborn stage is we seem to think that we have to sleep in these big chunks of time. 
time. And I think with a newborn, that can be difficult to achieve. Again, you feel exhausted and you feel like you're failing. It feels horrible to constantly go over. I've only had two hours broken sleep. I've only had that. I've only had that. Whereas if you sort of think, okay, I didn't get loads of sleep last night. What can I do in a day? 20 to 30 minute naps two or three times in the day can really be transformative in terms of your ability to cope, your outlook, and also realizing it's okay if the night is really disturbed. Your baby, again, talking about cave babies and being hardwired, you're, as, as the birthing parent, as a mother, your hormones of breast milk production are much higher at night. Your baby is meant to be awake at night, feeding lots and lots and lots. And your baby will probably have that behavior, whether they're breastfed or formula fed, because that's just yeah. the way they're wired. Um, so by feeding a lot at night, it's stimulating the prolactin. It's kind of like putting in their order for milk the next day. Yeah. These cave babies obviously were asleep on their mother's back or in a high tree house somewhere. And in the day they would feed and, and be put down and you could... Lots of babies will be put down in the day, won't they? And you think, wow, I've got a baby that's self-settled. This is amazing. And then at night, it's like, who are you? Where, what's going on? You feed yeah. them, you go to put them down, and they immediately are awake. But they don't actually mm. seem that hungry because they only do two or three sucks. And then you want to put them down and they wake again. It's <laughs> saying, I need to be close to you. They're mm. sort of fizzing with with biological chemicals to say, feed lots, stay close to your mummy. Because if she, if I'm close to her, I'm stimulating everything about her body that will protect me. They're kind of selfish, aren't they? They are. It's all about them. <laughs> all about them. I was thinking as well that often, you know, the four, four or five month mark can be really hard because yeah. there are changes to sleep that happen and not everyone experiences the dreaded four month sleep regression either. That's not yeah. always a thing, but it can be a hard time. And I think a part of that is often because that kind of newborn support that you might have had at eight weeks, at 12 weeks has sort of dried up because people go back to their lives. They think you're just cracking on with it. And yeah, the, exactly. um, those people coming around to make a cup of tea or helping you, uh, you might not feel, you might feel a bit embarrassed to ask for that. You might think, God, at this point, I should probably have my shit together a bit. Yeah. And it's a bit embarrassing at four or five months to be like, sorry, can you come and help me shower? Yeah. Or people might just think, well, it's fine. Or when my day at three months, we just put them in a room, let, yeah. let them cry it out and it was fine. And, oh, well, she's making a rod for her own back. If she just stopped yeah. responding yeah. so much to her baby yeah. at this point, you've kind of, it's your fault if you've got a baby that doesn't sleep. That That's really, really bothers me. It winds me up a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and I totally agree with that. I, I think yeah. you stop responding to your baby at that three, four month mark. And that's where you really struggle mentally. And you really think, I am, my heart, I need to do this for you. I need to respond to you. But society is saying, don't do it. It will solve your problems. Give them formula. It will solve your problems. And I can tell you 99% of the time that none of that works. And you're left as a shell who, who doesn't know whether you're coming or going because your body's telling you to do one thing and, and you're outwardly doing something else. And, what you believe will be best for you and your child Mm, that's it 
I, I had that experience with um, introducing formula, so we combination fed, and I was a little bit sad about it just because personally I felt like I had failed. Yeah. Um, and But then I thought, well, at least the plus side is now I'll get that sleep I want because that bo- bedtime bottle of formula will make him sleep through. And it was actually like the opposite was true. Yeah. <laughs> it actually made, that was just our experience. But yeah. I find that a lot that it doesn't, no. that, you know, formula milk is not um, a magic sleep potion no. and most people and there's lots of reasons why you might want to do that and that's absolutely fine do what works for your family but don't do it if the only reason is to get more sleep because you will probably be disappointed yes sad yeah sadly I I meet lots of people that sort of add that formula early on in the hope of sleep and Mm. and then they get to the point well it didn't really work my milk supply is just drying up a bit and I feel really sad that I felt that social pressure to do that um if if you if you're a person listening to this and you think that um, a lactation consultant can help you rebuild a milk supply if that's yeah. what you want, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think since becoming a mother, I've become so much more empathetic, maybe too empathetic mm-hmm. to lots of people that you you feel emotions much more, don't you? And it and it breaks my heart to think, looking back at myself, really, and and that there's lots of people out there feeling that that yeah lost lost at sea feeling and desperate for some sleep um yeah 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 and I'm not saying don't introduce a bottle if that's what you want to do you know it's not about telling people they can't it's just that there's this narrative that the breastfeeding is the reason you're not sleeping and look if you need a break if you want to express or give your baby some formula so that you can get a break that is important like that's you know that's yeah. a personal choice and I'm not I would never say that was wrong and no, me neither you know it's like we've got to we've got to just crack on and do what it's like you said it's survival mode and if that helps then great and feeding feeding your baby it has to work for you and your yeah. family and if that yeah. includes formula that's okay if it's exclusively yeah. formula feeding and you felt supported in making that choice that's okay yeah yeah that's it and just it's about how you feel about feeding yeah. uh, a midwife said that to me actually about birth she said it's, it doesn't matter about how, what happened in your birth it's how you feel about your birth that matters and I feel it's the same with feeding you know um, we live in an imperfect world we are imperfect parents we have lots of ideas of how things are going to go and they often don't go that way yeah. but it's um about being supported having the information and feeling okay about it and forgiving yourself if things aren't ideal because mm-hmm. um we're all in this we're all yeah. we're all like failing at so many things but it... <laughs> we are all flying by the seat of our pants not with a clue not knowing what we are doing i, I always yeah. think on my instagram account god maybe people think that I'm some pious hoity-toity lactation (laughs) consultant thinking I'm nailing everything I absolutely am not uh I've done some awful parenting (laughs) (laughs) well it's the same with me and sleep you know like um yeah I try really hard to be as responsive as possible but it doesn't mean that sometimes if my baby is woken in the middle of the night I haven't gone what the what's wrong with you (laughs) so you know it's um it's no one is perfect here one thing that I I think always people seem relieved when I tell them this is 
uh, I used to um, I used to be an infant feeding midwife, so that's sort of like a lactation consultant within the NHS. And I know that that's a postcode lottery as to whether people have access to that. But we used to run a clinic, and people used to come to us for breastfeeding support in a session with us. And I can't tell you, new parents, they would feeding is very emotional. Whether you do or don't, this, that, and the other, you're damned if you do, you're mm-hmm. damned if you don't. And feeding your baby it sometimes feels like that's the judgment of yourself as a parent and you've always got to think what would I tell my friend Mm -hmm. or my loved one if they were telling me what they're experiencing I would say stop don't beat yourself up you are doing the best that you can do with the support and the knowledge that you have right now and people would cry Mm -hmm. and say I feel like I'm the only person in the antenatal whatsapp group who isn't nailing this, who is finding it very, very hard, Mm. they're all finding breastfeeding Mm. either really easy or they're totally happy with combination feeding or formula feeding. And I I would always gently say, I don't actually think that's Mm. really true. I think everybody, you know, everyone finds it hard, yada, yada. Nine times out of 10, who would they see waiting in the waiting room? One or two people also from their NTT group in tears coming to us for support. You know, we we have this sort of pretense of it's all okay, it's all fine. I'm in control. We will be okay, like a robot. And actually, inside, we're a hot mess, sobbing and weeping <laughs> into our you know maternity pad with leaky boobs, feeling who am I? Um, so don't always take what people are saying face value. Maybe sometimes be the brave one on the WhatsApp group yeah. to say. This is really hard, isn't it? There's bits I like and there's bits I don't like. Um, apply it to yourself. Everybody in your job, professionally, there's always things in a job that we loathe doing. But that doesn't mean that we're not good at that job. It's just yeah. parts of it that we don't really enjoy, but we're still very good at our job overall. Yeah. We're the best parent for our child. Yes. Truly believe yeah, you that. You are the best mother. Yeah. yeah, I believe that as well. Yeah. So recently a friend um, asked me, she was about to give birth for her first and she was saying, from a sleep point of view, what do I need to do in the early, like what do I need to know about sleep in a newborn? And I said that really, first of all, like sleep problems are normally feeding problems. So Mm. get feeding support, however you're going to feed, make sure that that's going okay and that you're feeling supported with that. Yeah. Second of all, that there aren't really such thing as sleep problems for a newborn. No. B- babies are just designed to wake, and this is protective for them, yep. and it helps them survive. So, if your baby does wake frequently, um, it and you're breastfeeding, it isn't because you're not making enough milk, or that your uh, the, the milk the, that human milk isn't filling, or that it damages sleep. It's because this is a good thing that helps our babies survive. Yep. I also and I also was thinking as well how important it is to just feed let feeding and sleeping be just responsive and I I just want to tell anyone listening to this that it will fall into place and it just it feels like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle right now and that all the pieces are scattered everywhere Mm -hmm. but just by just by keeping responding by feeding them when they're hungry letting them sleep when they're tired Mm -hmm. it will just their bodies will regulate ourselves our body clock will develop our appetites will mm-hmm. mature yeah. you know all of these systems yeah. are just warming up aren't they? they're just revving up and it will happen and just 
get lots of sunlight during the day, keep dark, keep nighttime as dark as possible and it will be okay. Yeah, so the breast milk obviously contains melatonin, a sleep hormone. Yeah. So that will help your child develop a circadian rhythm in theory. Don't hate me if they... <laughs> no, if you it, don't, it does. You know, it in theory, that, that really is there. Um, it's true. And the lack of research into breastfeeding is staggering. I cannot believe it. Of course not. It's all about women. So it's not research. It is criminal how little we uh, how little we really know about our own bodies and and how much we're still finding out like now all the time. Oh, and so, uh, but there is some really interesting research into breastfeeding um, dyads and the and the, and the, the support of uh, of the circadian rhythm because, as you say, uh, the baby gets mother's melatonin from from the breast milk, which helps them get their body clock and actually a lot of parents find it really frustrating because they think that their babies at two months three months are going to go to bed at 7 p.m but actually they've been absorbing your melatonin at 10 11 o'clock every night for months so we wouldn't expect to fall asleep we wouldn't have that sleep pressure at seven o'clock you know yeah so a newborn can't produce its own melatonin it's getting melatonin from you that's really that's a good thing it's that you're basically just teaching them their body clock and it will start to get earlier as they get older but a newborn is not going to go down at seven there might be one or two that yeah. do and because there's always unicorns yeah. there's always outliers yeah. but the re- reality is if you're there feeding your seven week old baby at seven o'clock going and they're cluster feeding and you're just thinking or they're just not sleepy at all. <laughs> and you're just thinking, what yeah. am I doing wrong? It's not your boobs that mm-hmm. are, are wrong. And also right. if you're formula feeding, it's not it's not your formula feeding that's wrong either. It's just this is the way that our body clocks develop. It's not it's not the brand of milk. Yeah. Because let's remember the formula milks, they're all the same. They just have different marketing budgets. Yeah. yeah. In term in terms of um feeding frequently, um Alice Ember touched on it on the first episode, but so your your breast milk will be digested by the body between one and two hours, formula milk between three and four hours. You sort of think, well, great, let's formula feed because they sleep for longer. However, as we touched on before, you it's protective. You want your baby to wake. So breastfeeding is very protective against sudden infant death syndrome. If your baby is feeding one to two hourly with no sort of bigger sleep period at some point in 24 hours, do just think, hang on a minute, let's have a look. Mm-hmm. How many breastfeeds are we getting in 24 hours? We want at least 8 to 10 in 24 hours. We also, in those first six weeks, wheeze and poos are very, very important. So what your, hopefully your community midwife, your health visitor would have given you that info. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that info, UNICEF, how to know breastfeeding is going well, it's a PDF document, it's amazing. Yeah. It tells you how many wheeze and poos to expect for however old the baby is. It also tells you green ticks, what's going well, and what a red flag would be. So cluster feeding is something that um, sort of tail, makes breastfeeding tail off hugely. Um, the six-week mark is where we see a massive drop-off of, of people breastfeeding, despite wanting to. We know that eight out of 10 women stopped breastfeeding before that they actually wanted to. And this is due to lack of support. Mm. We are failing mothers. We are not supporting them. We're telling them, do this. It has so many health benefits. See you later. They don't have the support. It's a postcode lottery, what's available to them. The cluster feeding refers to the baby being on and off the breast very frequently or wanting a dummy or a bottle very frequently 
an intense period for a few hours, normally um, sort of as the sun goes down, I describe it as. Maybe six o'clock-ish, you'll find they start to get very fussy, very grumpy, on and off the breath. They come off, they're raging angry. They go back on, they come off. Sometimes they feed so much that they then do one of these apocalyptic vomits everywhere. (laughs) That's okay. They will then be very hungry, put them back at the breast. You tend to find after cluster feeding, they then have a long stretch of sleep. Mm-hmm. So if your baby is cluster feeding all day, all night, that's a red flag. If your baby cluster feeds and doesn't then give you a slightly longer stretch of sleep, that could also be a red flag. Mm-hmm. It may not always be, you know, learning new skills, growth spurts. They will always then do lots of cluster feeding and lots of sort of hitting of the breast, pulling at the nipple to try and stimulate that letdown to happen again. Mm. Um, but if you have any instinct that something isn't right or there's no break in the cluster feeding or you just think, I've read up on cluster feeding and this seems to be slightly outside of what's being described, please seek help. Yeah. So wheeze, poos and weights are really important. Um, I know that health visiting services at the moment are a bit tricky. Um, some people choose to to buy scales of Amazon themselves and they may not be hugely down to three grams accurate but they will give you an idea of is the baby gaining weight losing weight or stagnating yeah. um all health visitors should listen to your concerns and services are reopening community midwives should be really responsive to you if it's in those first sort of two to four weeks of the baby's life yeah and there are best breastfeeding helplines aren't there as well that you can call yeah they're great free resource in the yeah. UK yeah, the Leche League Association of Breastfeeding Mothers, the Breastfeeding Network as well. There are some amazing free resources that they're charities and they're based around breastfeeding. So they don't have those huge marketing budgets, um, but they're quietly there in the background and they are just phenomenal. There's also loads and loads of great free advice on um, Instagram. I think it's very important to remember huge followings do not mean decent advice yeah. Yeah. so looking for a qualification such as being an ibclc a lactation consultant means that the resource that they're providing is evidence it's factual and they're accountable for it yeah so they can't be giving out dodgy advice because they could be reported and their license to practice could be removed from them yes i think it's really scary as well when it comes to like um instagram like sleep companies and how little breastfeeding training there is but yeah there's so much stuff about about sleep just being like well if you give your baby this amount of milk if you can express this amount if you want to breastfeed well express this amount so you can see what they've had and then they'll definitely sleep and then you which is fine to do like like i say there's lots of practical reasons why that might really help you if you've got several kids running around at bedtime and you want to give a bottle of express milk then that's great you know or a bottle of formula then you do you you know got but um but uh this idea that it's all about like making sleep by this like form a formulaic approach to sleep and this many hours of naps and this many milliliters of milk and this you know babies are babies are people their bodies aren't machines and um it takes away those very slight glimmers of joy yeah. that you get in those early weeks. Yeah. Because you're too busy with timers, with yeah. um, recording mills of milk, with, with timing naps and everything like that. And actually, be confident that 
you are doing the best that you can do. If you're not happy with the, either the sleep support, or the breastfeeding support that you're receiving, you, 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 as a mother, I think you learn to advocate a bit better, don't yeah. you? To say, actually, my burning love for this child, my protectiveness um, means that I'm not actually really happy with what you're saying, doctor or midwife or health visitor. I want a second opinion. Yeah. Or you go elsewhere. Or if you've got that instinct that something isn't right, mm -hmm. You, you push to be seen elsewhere. It doesn't matter if, oh, you know, they might not like me. It doesn't matter. It's it's your most precious thing. Um, try and push forward with with those feelings. Yeah, and you'll feel you'll feel good when you do as well. It can be really scary yeah. and a bit overwhelming. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially empowering as, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's completely empowering. Mm. And uh, we live in a society that very much raises women to like not complain too much, to get mm -hmm. on with things, to take the advice and go away and be good kind of little girls. And uh, yeah. and then you have a baby and you might feel this kind of like lioness instinct yeah. to kind of fight. And it's um, and it's it's hard to you don't know what you're doing you're in a fog it's crazy like your hormones are all over the place and maybe you're getting some bad advice whether that is feeding or medical issues or sleep or whatever and it's hard to say hold on that doesn't feel right but if mm -hmm. you kind of do listen to that voice then and yeah. become that lioness then uh, it is really empowering yeah. it's it's scary and it's difficult and everyone finds that I think a bit weird but you, like you yeah. say you're coming through something and you're going to come out the other side better yeah. At advocating for yourself and for your child and more more empowered which, mm -hmm. which is great yeah the, the only thing is well sorry I keep just one last thing to say lots lots of families I know find it very very hard particularly in these early days when you feel very vulnerable and very raw with all the well-meaning advice given by families particularly close family members you know mm -hmm. new grandmothers or um you know your siblings yourself who may already have children I think sometimes it's a good idea to have a chat as a couple or whoever sort of your family unit is to say what are we going to do mm. if my mum comes in and says oh you're spoiling that baby makes a little passive aggressive joke mm. about rods for your own back and yada yada how are you guys going to cope with that are you just going to do the smile with no teeth and go mm-hmm mm-hmm or, or are you going to nip it in the bud there and then there is no right or wrong with this yeah. because it's incredibly challenging um but that can be, those little comments can be very persuasive, really knock your confidence. Mm -hmm. I always say to families, you're very welcome to use me as the excuse. <laughs> say, oh, the midwife has actually said, you know, she's really bullshit. She's very strict about these things. But she really says, um, if we're giving a bottle, for example, it should really only be one or two people that give that. It shouldn't just be all different family members feeding the baby. Um, little things like that, you know, just, just find a way to cope and navigate with um, or, key, or things that you might say like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's really interesting. We've done a bit of research ourselves and I think we're going to try this. But I really appreciate yeah. um, your input and your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's little great. ways to cope. <laughs> Such a good, that's a really good advice. I wish I'd had that advice two years ago. <laughs> oh, but whether whether you can put it in yeah. you know now you think yeah great advice but whether you can put that into action actually when you're in that position it, it you know it's it, it it's very hard it depends on your character yourself I think yes yeah and how um, as well yeah and how flammable the other people are <laughs> that's a very polite way of putting it yes <laughs>
I mean, I could actually, I mean, yeah, I feel like we could talk all day. Oh my God, I could talk about parenting, motherhood, breastfeeding. I mean, yeah, it's nice to talk to someone who isn't like, shut the fuck up.